scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. If you're following in the Red Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 816, 816. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We continue this morning our study of the fruit of the Spirit. And if you've been keeping track, today we should be talking about faithfulness. Several months ago, uh, John and I had talked about the, the preaching schedule, and, and he asked me to, to preach on this particular date. And uh, for the past couple of weeks, I've been kind of mulling this sermon over and working on it a little bit. And um, for whatever reason, I, I went to uh, to, to go to my email to get the template that John had sent me for the slides that, that he's been using this particular uh, series. And on the screen, it said faithfulness. And uh, I thought, well, I had in my calendar gentleness. So I texted him and sure enough, I was, I was mixed up with what I was supposed to preach today. And, and John gently allowed me to preach this morning uh, about gentleness. He said, I'll, I'll just take faithfulness next week. And I appreciate that. And I've been scratching my head the last couple of days. How did I get my wires crossed? What, what happened? And it, and it came to light this morning uh, when I was telling Aaron what I was preaching on this morning, I was preaching on gentleness. And and she said, I, I noticed that you'd been more gentle uh, with the children this week. And I think what happened, I think she went into my calendar and changed it from faithfulness to gentleness. Um, it is interesting how God's word works on us in that way, how she had noticed that in me. And, and uh, it's something you strive for as a father to be that right mix of balance of, of gentle and also authoritative uh, ruling and leading your home in a, in a, in a good way. And I um, don't know if it was a providential thing that I ended up having to study the concept of gentleness, but it certainly has been a rewarding study for me. What is gentleness? What do we mean by that? In fact, in your translation, it may be that that word is not actually translated gentleness. It may actually be the word meekness. The word meekness. Now, we use the word gentleness or gentle a lot more than we use the word meek, don't we? We understand what it means to be gentle. We, we see people that are gentle and we see people that are not gentle. But when we think about meekness, that's a word that maybe we don't use as much. So let's kind of, instead of saying what it is, let's first talk, talk about what it is not. Sometimes when we think about the word meekness, people might bring to mind the, the word is weakness, but that's not what it is. I want you to realize that, that implied within the word gentleness is the fact that there is strength. Have you ever thought about that? You wouldn't say that something that is weak is necessarily gentle. I understand that, yes, the little bunny rabbit you could say is gentle, but, but really when we talk about someone or something being gentle, what's being implied is there is something going on with that strength that they have. They're acknowledging that they have that strength. There's an acknowledgement of their power or ability, but yet there is something done with that power or ability, as we'll talk about in a minute. 
And secondly, it's also gentleness or meekness is not cowardice or spinelessness. It's not an unwillingness to stand up for what's right. It's not an unwillingness to speak when you need to speak. But rather, it may be that meekness or gentleness is actually courage or conviction. Being able to, as we'll talk about in a little bit, restrain what you have at your disposal. And so if if gentleness or meekness is not weakness, and it's not cowardice or spinelessness, consider what it is. Gentleness or meekness is often said to be strength under control. Strength under control. You perhaps have heard heard meekness described as or uh, illustrated with a horse being bridled or brought under control. A a, a thousand pound animal. Emmy has begun taking some riding lessons and, and it's really interesting to think about when she is around the horse and she halters that horse and leads that horse She, that little 40-pound girl, I know that because she's really wanting to ride in that new car seat. She has to be over 40 pounds. 40-pound girl controlling this 1,000-pound animal with a halter, with a bridle. Strength under control. Another way that is put also in thinking about gentleness or meekness is the ability to bear injuries, forgive injuries, and return good for evil. We'll talk about this concept a little bit more, but you can understand the picture here of someone who is meek or gentle, one who restrains or or controls their strength when they are being injured or when they are being subjected or when they're being maybe pushed down, maybe they're willing to even forgive those injuries. And then on top of all of that, their meekness, their gentleness leads them to return good for evil. It's really interesting to think about meekness and what that really looks like. It's not weakness. It's not being someone who is cowardly and and being spineless, but rather someone who has strength and they're able to subject that strength and use it in the right way. You know, sometimes we often bow up whenever someone maybe pushes against us. Maybe it's like a defense mechanism. We, We shoot from our hip, right, really quickly. But meekness says, I'm going to subject and control my own strength rather than trying to subject or control someone else. So gentleness or meekness, perhaps the best way for any character trait, for any fruit of the Spirit, for any, uh, anything that God wants us to be is, how do, how do I live this out? How is this manifested in my life? Perhaps the best way to understand that is to look at the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Particularly this morning, I want us to consider Jesus and his meekness or gentleness. We just read uh, from our scripture reading, Paul did from Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. It says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1, Jesus is spoken of there by the Apostle Paul. And he says, I implore you, I beg you, I plead with you, by the gentleness, the meekness, and the lowliness, or the, the kindness of Jesus. 
He appealed to the Corinthians, this this church who had a lot of problems. He appealed to them on the basis of and by the gentleness and, and appealed to that gentleness of Jesus Christ, the meekness of Jesus Christ. Consider in the last days of his life, the last week of Jesus' life, five pictures, five maybe components of meekness that Jesus demonstrated in the way that he interacted with others in the very last week of his life. Go in order, beginning on what's sometimes called Palm Sunday, in which Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter number 21. Remember when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, really what's happening as people are waving him, uh, waving palm branches in his direction and laying their coats down on the road before him, they are crowning him king. And you know, a king typically is going to embrace that. They're going to say, I'm going to, to demonstrate my power. I'm going to demonstrate my strength. And in so doing, I'm going to get up on that tall steed that kingly horse, and I'm going to ride into town and demonstrate that I have this power, I have this strength. But what does Jesus do? In Matthew chapter 21, verse number 1 through 4, really, we find that he sends his disciples to go into town, into a village, and get the donkey that is tied and the colt with her, verse number 2, and say, the Lord has need of them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Notice verse 5. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly, as my translation reads, gentle, meek, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had very much so in his right the ability to say, get me the best horse you can find, the tallest one you can find. I want to demonstrate that I'm in control, I'm God, I have power, but instead he chooses It was prophesied about, but he chooses and fulfills the prophecy of him riding in on a colt on a donkey. Interesting to think about. Interesting to think that Jesus demonstrates this humility, this meekness, this lowliness. That word there is found in verse number five, describing the attitude, the disposition that Jesus had. Consider also, you think about Philippians chapter two, in verse number three. We've been learning this particular section in Kids Sing, have we not? We talk about all the things that that we ought to think about others in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Meekness, gentleness, says, I'm going to be lowly in mind, and we are learning now verses five and six of Philippians chapter two. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's talking about this very same mind he just talked about, the lowliness of mind, the meek attitude, the gentle disposition, seen here the very last week of Jesus's life. But as we continue, we might consider in John chapter 13, on Thursday night of that week, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples as he's instituting the Lord's Supper. And in that particular occasion, Jesus begins to wash the feet of his disciples. You remember the scene? We already could say that Jesus was meek and and lowly by stooping down and washing the feet of of his disciples, but he maintains composure He is able to keep uh, control of his spirit, of his attitude, of his mind, of his actions, 
even when washing the feet of the one who is going to betray him, Judas. And he says to Judas, verse number 27 of John chapter 13, what you're going to do, do quickly. He doesn't lash out against him. He doesn't fly off the handle. He maintains his composure. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 32. Better is the man who, or the man who is slow to anger. The man who is slow to anger. Better is the man who is able to be slow to anger than the one who is mighty. And the one who rules his spirit is better than the one who takes a city. One who rules his spirit. Jesus maintained composure. He ruled his spirit. He was under control, strength under control. He kept his strength in subjection. He had the ability to do whatever he wanted to do with that strength, as we'll talk about here in just a minute, and yet he keeps it under control. Humility, composure, restraint. After they have instituted, after Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is praying there. And you remember what happens? Look at Matthew chapter 26. You're already there in Matthew 21. Look at Matthew 26, just a couple of pages over. I want you to see this. This is just remarkable to think about. When we're talking about humility and restraint, meekness and lowliness, remember the scene? Judas comes and points Jesus out. And what happens? Peter draws his sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. Strength. I'm going to assert ourselves to make sure that people know that this is the king, Peter's thinking. What does Jesus do? Verse number 53, 452, really put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. But notice 53 also. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? All Jesus had to do was pray to his father and to his defense would come as an estimated 84 or so thousand angels. Jesus had that power and yet he restrained himself because as he goes on to say, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way, verse 54. He was going to the cross. He had the ability, he had the power, he had the strength to say, no, I will not go to the cross I am God, I've done nothing wrong, I'm perfect, and yet he restrains himself for me and you. Meekness, gentleness, lowliness. First Peter chapter two, verse 23, another song we've learned the kids sing. When Jesus was reviled, he reviled not in return, but committed himself to, one, to the one who judges righteously. That's our tendency, right? We talked about a moment ago when someone uh, attacks us or someone comes uh, and and offends us, our our tendency is to bow up, to, to have the defense mechanism to say, no, don't mess with me. But Jesus in his meekness and his gentleness had restraint. He had gentleness. And then upon the cross, we see Jesus's tenderness Look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19, as he's hanging there, as the Son of God has gone through the most torturous of things, being scourged, being put upon the cross, having nails driven through his hand, having a crown of thorns plated upon his head. John chapter 19, verse number 26, of all the things that Jesus could have been thinking about and saying, woe is me, what does he instead do? Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. 
And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Jesus was concerned about his loved ones, the tenderness that he displays here as he looks upon his mother and what she's going through, seeing her son hanging upon the cross. You know, sometimes when we think about manliness, our tendency is to be men who are strong, men who are powerful. You know, sometimes what's kind of ironic and interesting to think about, it's, it's kind of this uh, paradox, if you will. You know those big biker guys, right? Strong biker guys, the motor, Harley Davidson, whatever, and then they've got mom tattooed on their arm, right? Think about Jesus here. He's, he had all the strength in the world. He was powerful, our king. And here he is looking upon his mother. Sometimes us men have a hard time getting in touch with our feelings as it's often accused, right? He's concerned about the ones he loves and where she's going to be, who's going to take care of her. Tenderness. We think about Jesus' other occasions in which he interacted with little children. You know, at some point in the course of history, it's been said that children are better seen and not heard, right? That they are to just go over there and and not be around anyone and, and not get in anyone's way. Sometimes that's still considered to be the case. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And what's beautiful to think about in that end of that section there is Jesus takes those little children into his arms. Do you look at little children in the way that Jesus looked at little children? Are they in your way? Are they a liability? Are they a frustration? Or are they something to be cherished? to be looked at with tenderness. Jesus demonstrated that. Consider, finally, Jesus' charity, or what we might say, his charitableness. We could describe that word charity, as something, you know, the old King James Version, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, charity, and substituted for love, or you know, that, that's, that's what we sometimes say, charity is love. Or we might think of charity as being that, that charity out there that we donate to that maybe gives things to people in need. But when, I, when we see this word charity, what I want us to think about is not so much just only giving something to people in need as much as it is a disposition in demonstrating mercy to those who really don't even deserve that mercy. Think about that. What is Jesus doing here in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34? He's praying to his father and saying, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. As we said, Jesus could have prayed to the Father and called 80-something thousand angels down to destroy them, to rescue him. And yet, instead of praying for that, here he's found to be praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 28, Jesus in the Sermon on the Plain, very similar discourse about loving your enemies as in the Sermon on the Mount says, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. And he goes on at the very end there to say, and pray for those who abuse you. Jesus living out his teachings here on the cross in the last week of his life, gentleness, meekness, lowliness. The most strong and powerful man to ever live that had every ability in the world and yet he restrained himself. He maintained composure. He demonstrated humility and tenderness. He was charitable. So let's put it into practice. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12, as we've considered 
putting on Christ in baptism. We don't just put on Christ in the sense that we are washed in his blood and that's it and it ends there, but rather Paul is saying in Colossians chapter three that we are to put on Christ the same type of attributes that he has, putting on gentleness or meekness. In 1 Timothy chapter six, Paul, the apostle, says to Timothy, the man of God will pursue gentleness, will pursue meekness. It's something, in other words, that is maybe not that which comes natural to us. It's something we have to seek after and try to find and and do better at. So pursue it. How do we do that? Consider four areas. The lesson will be yours. Four areas in which we can practically demonstrate and, and show meekness or gentleness in our life. Number one, gentleness or meekness toward God. Gentleness or meekness toward God. Now that one, we're going to start off with perhaps the most odd seeming one. Gentleness or meekness toward God. How, am I, how should I be gentle toward God after all? He obviously has all the power. There's nothing that I could say, my power is stronger than his, and so therefore I'm going to be more gentle or gentle towards him. Think about James chapter 1 and verse number 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. What is the word? The word of God. What is God's word? What God is saying to us? What is God trying to do? He's trying to give us things that we need to change in our lives. And are we receiving that with meekness, with gentleness? Going back to the horse illustration, thinking about a horse that is wild and needs to be, as we sometimes have said, broken, put under subjection, In a very crude way, as sinners, you and I need to be broken down by the word of God. That is to say, put under subjection by the word of God, and eventually we need to demonstrate meekness and gentleness about what the word of God is saying to us. Restraining the fact that I have power over my own life. God has given that to me. Realize that. Think about the fact that God has given you power, free will over your own life to do whatever it is that you will with it. Doesn't mean that he wants you to do all those terrible things, but he's given you the choice nonetheless. And meekness and gentleness is saying, God, I will do what you say. I will turn where you turn the reins. I will stop when you tell me to stop, when you woe me, if you will, if I'm that horse in that illustration and that analogy. Gentleness or meekness toward God. Consider next, gentleness or meekness toward our families. Toward our families. First, let's consider men, husbands, and fathers. You think about the great section of scripture, 1 Timothy chapter three, verses number three and four. In this section we have qualifications that are given to elders. These are qualifications, yes, for elders, but they are qualifications and characteristics that all men ought to be aspiring toward. And we often look at, as we're looking at at someone, whether or not he's qualified for an elder, we look and see that last half there, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. In other words, he is obviously in charge. He obviously wears the pants in the family. He's got control over the things that are going on in the household, whether it be his wife or whether it be his children. But sometimes we skip right over the previous verse and we don't see, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, meekness, lowliness, 
not quarrelsome, not covetous, then one who rules his own house well. Sometimes it is the tendency of us fathers to push our thumb down upon our children, to mandate certain things of our wife. And yes, God has given us the responsibility to be the leaders of the home and to be the fathers of our children and to have certain responsibilities in those ways, but he never gave us the authority to be harsh. He never gave us the authority to be individuals that are highly critical Individuals that push our thumb down and are are authoritarian instead of authoritative. That's a hard line to walk. And I understand that sometimes in our day and age, there is this concept, this idea of of gentle parenting. And I (coughs) don't necessarily ascribe to most of, if not all of, what that is being said about, uh, what it it is trying to to teach and, and suggest. Because as the Bible does, does suggest and teach, we ought to be using methods such as spanking because uh, the rod is, is certainly uh, not going to kill the child, but it is going to be uh, a help and aid in rearing them and, and, and training them. But do we turn to the rod? Do we turn to the belt? Do we turn to the spanking as the only source of authority, as the only source of parenting? Do we not also need to remind ourselves as fathers we need to be gentle? As husbands, are we demanding of our wives? Do we have expectations that that they better have our supper ready at this exact time? Husbands and fathers, we need to think about gentleness or meekness in our home towards our families. But ladies, you're not off the hook. Gentleness and meekness is, is for you as well. And maybe sometimes we think about gentleness and meekness being, well, that obviously I'm a, a lady is going to be gentle and meek. They're, they are the weaker vessel after all. But as you think about the society in which we live, I would suggest to you that the radical feminism of our day is the antithesis of meekness and gentleness. I'm not suggesting by any stretch that women should not have the same rights in this country as a man, absolutely. But what is suggested oftentimes by radical feminism is that I'm going to be loud and you're going to hear me no matter what. You better listen up, men. But here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 4, what Scripture tells us, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Notice this last phrase, which in God's sight is very precious, is very costly, as is sometimes put in other translation. It's the only time that something is labeled as very costly in the sight of God in the New Testament in that way. The gentle and quiet spirit, God loves that in a woman. And it is contrasted here with this adorning of plated uh, gold and, and, and jewels and such. And that instead of being adorned in that way, that we ought to be, as ladies, adorning ourselves with a gentle and quiet spirit. It's not to suggest that it's sinful to wear earrings. But what are we most concerned about? Mothers, what are we teaching our daughters? Is it most Is it the priority on our minds that our daughters are learning how to make themselves up 
and be beautiful in a physical sense? Or is it the most important thing in our minds that our daughters are being taught to have a gentle and quiet spirit? We'll talk more about that verse here in just a minute. But certainly, gentleness and meekness is for ladies as much as it is for men. Consider this section as well. Gentleness or meekness toward the lost or the erring. The lost or the erring. We have six verses on the screen. Galatians chapter six, verse number one. Brothers, if anyone is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. Sometimes we might stop there when quoting that verse. But what does he go on to say? In the spirit of gentleness, meekness. First Peter chapter three, verse number 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart is holy, always being ready to give an answer to the one who asks you for the reason, the hope that is within you. Maybe we stop there. But what does it go on to say? With meekness and fear. You know, sometimes maybe we teach our young people, we ought to memorize that verse and you ought to be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a question about the Bible. Almost this shoot from the hip mentality, be ready, be loaded and armed, ready to go. Are we loading in their minds as well the idea that that answer that is given is to be done with meekness, with gentleness? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 25, Paul tells Timothy that the man of God will correct those in opposition with gentleness, with meekness. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, of Paul again dealing with those who are very troubled in the church says, would you rather that I come, asking a rhetorical question, would you rather that I come with a rod or the spirit of love and gentleness? Titus chapter three, verse two, John is continuing a series tonight on the book of Titus. And the book of Titus is all about Paul helping this young man, Titus, his son in the faith, to work in a city or, or an island, a variety of cities that was rife with problems, evils, in the society, and this whole intention of helping him along in his work there was to how do we interact with those who are on the outside of the church? How do we interact with those that are lost? Doing it with gentleness was one of the qualities, one of the expectations of Titus. And then back to First Peter chapter three, which previous slide we just noticed about women adorning themselves with a gentle and quiet spirit. That comes on the heels of Paul, uh, Peter saying to ladies who are married to a non-believing husband that one of the ways that you can win him over to the faith is not by browbeating him, is not by constantly nagging him and constantly getting on to him about not coming to church or whatever, but rather that perhaps one of the best ways, if not the best way to win him over to the faith is by living in a way like this a meek and gentle spirit quietly by the way that you live winning him over. Would you believe that gentleness in the New Testament, if you were to categorize the, the areas of our life that gentleness is to be demonstrated, that you would say, okay, well, surely gentleness is, is most often associated in scripture with parenting or with a husband to a wife, but rather the most often categorized area of scripture, if you will, in the New Testament that gentleness is found is how we treat the lost or the erring. 
It's interesting to think about, do, do we think that that problem has ended? That that was just a first century problem? That there were only Christians in the first century who had the problem of, of correcting individuals who were erring or lost without gentleness? Was that, was that the problem only in the first century? Has that gone away? No, certainly it exists even today. You think about sometimes I've see, I see people uh, commenting on, on, on sermons and suggesting that a good sermon is a strong sermon. And sometimes the sermons that, that speak like this and they're hard and they come across. What about sermons that are gentle? Sometimes preachers are labeled as sissy boy preachers because maybe they don't have that strong personality and they're, they're coming down hard on something. When was the last time that you commented on someone's preaching being that they were a gentle preacher? Someone who was kind, benevolent, loving. Certainly, we have at our disposal the most powerful weapon in the world, the Word of God. Our, if you were to think about it this way as a weapon, are we wielding it with gentleness? It is certainly that which is powerful. It is certainly that which ought to uh, be changing lives and does change lives. But are we wielding it as I did? I, I think back to when I was a young person, maybe nine or 10, and I was arguing and fighting with my brother in the church building. I'll never forget it. I was hitting my brother with a Bible. And my dad came down on me. You're hitting your brother with all things, the word of God. I'll never forget it. Do we sometimes do that? Cram this sword down people's throats? Gentleness, meekness, lowliness toward the lost or erring. Finally, toward our church family. Gentleness or meekness toward our church family. Ephesians chapter four, verses two and three. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I recently went hunting with a couple of friends. And the way that we like to hunt is we like to go into the wilderness area, go way back deep in where there's no roads and you have to hike in and you're sleeping in a tent together and you're spending the week without most, showering most days and, and you're, you're, you're not smelling very good. And we were talking that week, you know, we ought to have, invite other people to, to join in. But we said, you know what? This is something you don't go do with just anyone. You don't go drive several hours away somewhere and spend the night in tents together and be with one another 24-7 with just anyone. You need to get along. We don't have that luxury, brothers and sisters, to say, I'm just going to do my life, my, my Christian life, my, my church life with just the people I want to do it with. Yes, I understand there's a distinction between those that are saved and those that are lost, but if someone is saved, we're doing church life with them. Am I someone who would be invited along in that? Am I someone who, someone would say, yeah, that's someone we could invite along on the hunt, if you will, the church life. Someone who's lowly and gentle, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Could that be described and said about you? This morning, are you gentle? Are you gentle towards God? Are you gentle towards 
your family? Are you gentle towards the lost and the erring? Are you gentle towards even our church family? It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is part of the fruit of the Spirit, if you will, being that all of these things are the fruit of the Spirit. We can't just say, well, I'll be someone who uh, is good, as we talked about last week. I'm going to do the right thing, but I'm not going to be gentle. That's just not who I am. These are qualities that are expected of all of us, and they change the world. They really do have a meaningful impact on others if we will just practice them and demonstrate them and have that disposition in our lives. If you're not a Christian this morning, this is the life that we're calling you to. We're not calling to you a life of hate. We're not calling you to a life of vitriol. We're calling to you a life of gentleness and peace and love. Yes, we're going to stand for the truth. Yes, we're going to be individuals that speak and say what the Bible says, but we're going to do it with gentleness. At least that's what we should be doing. If you are a Christian, you haven't been doing these things and you need to repent of them, make it right. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, we ask that you come as together we stand as we sing.